Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Creative Footnotes. I've been on a hiatus for the last month. My measly listeners noticing me being gone because I got hired (laughs) at SCAD, which is the Savannah College of Art and Design, where I graduated from. So that's been an exciting progression in my life, and that's led me to today trying to get in some interviews before I leave the state of Florida. And I'm with my friend Taylor, who is going to give us a look inside the world of a being a drummer. <laughs> hey, uh, Taylor. Hello. Welcome. I am going to do that. Welcome to the pod. Hello. Happy to be here. First pod. First podcast ever. See so exciting. I think that that's the case for a few of my guests so far. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that, especially because I kind of only slightly know what I'm doing. So we'll trudge through together. Well, don't we all? <laughs> so um, you are a drummer. I am. Um, and how long have you been playing drums for? I started playing real drums in January of 2010, I was playing them rock band drums like nine months before, and that's what inspired me. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But. So you got you got inspired by a rock band? Yes. Like, truly? Yes. You were like, this is cool, I'm going to do this. Well, my mom bought me Guitar Hero 3 for my birthday in uh, 2009, so I was 14. Uh played the shit out of that game. Can we curse on here? Yeah. <laughs> played the shit out of that game. And, uh, you know, then Rock Band came out and they had all the instruments. And, well, first my mom also bought me a real guitar after I had played Guitar Hero for so long. And then I was like, I could play real guitar. And I could not. And I was real <laughs> bad. Real, real, real bad. And then they had Rock Band. And I was like, maybe I could try the drums because, like, shit, the drums are like, they're just rhythm. They're not melody. They must feel the same on the real instrument as compared to guitar you know, has all the strings and all the extra things that Guitar Hero doesn't have. So uh, it actually directly translated. So I bought a drum kit in uh, January 2010. I guess you could say I didn't start till Jan- February 2010, but whatever. It's like the same thing. My cymbals got there like a month late. But <laughs> yeah, early 2010 until now. I had a couple hiatuses uh, temporarily, you know, over the years. But So you would say that it is very similar playing like drums on rock band to actual drums i mean obviously it's never going to be exactly the same it's all more similar than like guitar rhythm games directly translate or they they have the capability to uh like the game taught me understanding of rhythm and Mm. it just so happens that drums don't need to be plugged into anything and can directly translate to rhythm since you know you're not really dealing with any anything melodic or anything like that, it's all just the nuance and the hits. Mm. So I got I got pretty lucky that I found something that I could play a game in, and then it was actually training me to get a little bit better at the actual instrument. Yeah, which wasn't possible with guitar, even though I really wanted to try guitar, but it did not work out. Did you? What was like the first song that you learned? Do you remember? On drums or guitar? Yeah, drums. Well, in rock band, what taught me to play drums at all, the song that like got me uh, rhythmic comprehension at all, was Say It Ain't So by Weezer. <laughs> That's awesome. That's right. I couldn't even beat it on medium. I mean, easy. And then by the end of the day, beat it on medium. And nice. I was like, dude, 
Start of a new era. Let's go. That's cool that you remember the first song. So that was it. Was there any other kind of inspiration that you had to starting it? Like, did you always kind of want to learn an instrument, and then doing that game kind of led you into that, or? Well, all my friends were just starting to pick up guitar, and we were like, you know, it was only two years ago we had me and my best friends had found metal, and we were like holy shit, this is fucking so sick. And we're looking mm-hmm. up videos and see the guys with the, guitars, with the guitars and we're like, oh my God, that's so cool. So we all kind of tried to play guitar at the same time in like the end of middle school, early high school. Um, they succeeded, I did not. <laughs> hey, I mean, I think a lot, I don't think there's really like an easy instrument. Mm-mm. Maybe the recorder but even that, you can't just like play it. I only like, got to greenbelt. <laughs> yeah, I only got to greenbelt and recorded. That shit was hard. So when you first started playing, were did you like ever write your own or like create your own music, or did that come like later on? The creating original music came that same year, uh, but I hadn't really, and I guess even still, I haven't written too many original pieces on just my own. Uh, but that same year, 2010, in August, I did join my first band. We were called Eyes Tell Lies. <laughs> Carbon copy that's of amazing. Bullet for My Valentine, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I wrote a bunch of originals with them. I mean, you know. Where'd you guys play? Well, it was Mom's Garage, and then she got, she was done with that real quick after, like, <laughs> three meetups. And uh, we found a storage unit around town. And decked it out with a bunch of carpet and freaking, it was like 16 feet tall with a platform eight, four, eight, like eight feet up too. So we like installed a ladder on the wall to like get up to the platform. And we were like, <laughs> it was such a bachelor pad. That's but cool. Where was that? That was in um, Palm Harbor. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And you rented this like space or mm-hmm. nice. Okay. Rented it monthly and they just allowed bands. And the they time. just didn't care. They didn't give a fuck. <laughs> By the time we left, they had cared. No, oh, yeah, I was gonna say. I feel like that would be hard nowadays, unless it was designated make sound, make noise space. Yeah, well, it has to. I'm looking for another storage unit right now, and it is the same um, problems. You gotta. It's all about the geography, really. At this point, you gotta find somewhere that's way far away from a lot of residential People, areas yeah. and places that do business. So is that like a hindrance for you in the process of like learning drums is like having space to actually do it? Because I feel like that's like with other instruments, that's not necessarily as much of a concern, right? Because you can kind of like, like if you're playing ukulele, like, you know, when I was learning that, it wasn't like I was shredding on the uke, you know, and like everyone was like, can you keep it down? (laughs) Right. It is. It is a lot harder on uh, with drums to be consistently practicing. Um and who knows, maybe I'm just making excuses, but I, I came up with like, you know, with rock and metal as opposed to, you know, marching band and all the rudiment knowledge and stuff that I still lack that I need to, you know, get better on. And maybe, maybe I could be doing, you know, <clears throat> sticking practice and rudiment practice and stuff on my pad at home. But when it comes to practicing on the kit, I haven't had a place to practice on my own in at least four years my my drums are stacked up in my garage and every time i play out uh play shows out or have practice with people 
that's my practice. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to kind of practice in my head and, and, and stuff, and then just hope it translates to the kit. And it usually does all right, but... I just know I would be so much better if I had a spot of my own right now. So yeah, just like a soundproof shed. Yeah, soundproof <laughs> just shed. Just like yeah, storage away from just everybody. You know, there's where just nobody's even in in earshot to give a fuck. Um, how many bands have you been in in the process of making music? It's a good question. One, two, three, four, five, six. Like seven, probably. <laughs> wow. Just a quick guess. I mean, people have been a part of many more, but I never wanted to do like, or it was very seldom that I would do like two, three, four projects at once. Yeah. It'd always just be one or two. Well, okay. So two questions. One, how do you like find people to actually start a band that consistently come together and like practice? Because I feel like it's easy to just be like, let's start a band. Yeah. And then nothing ever happens. Well, you have to assume a role of, um, early on, early on when I meet new people, I try to, at least nowadays, this wasn't all the, always the case, but nowadays I try to be like, you know, just so you know, like, this is a place of like, we, you know, we're all going to think differently about some certain things, but as long as we all know that the ultimate goal is us coming together and writing good tunes, then like... I want to give everybody the platform to speak and not like be afraid to share their opinion and know everybody's going to listen. And then we all share our thoughts constructively. Mm-hmm. And without that, it's going to, it's going to fall apart. So I just try to do my part to be like, yo, this is how I think the environment should be set up for success. What do you guys think? So I guess just very, very open communication. Yeah. And then like setting a schedule, right? And setting a schedule, yeah. you know, the good old band group chat. <laughs> so, yeah. I and mean, then, just, so, having that communication helps in, like, fostering, like, a continuative, or whatever word you would use, um, like, you keep making stuff together. But has there ever been, like, any kind of dramatic fallouts that were, like, the ending? Or were you just kind of like, we're going to do other things? <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah. Plenty of drama, plenty of just fizzle outs. It, it's different with every project. Sometimes I just up and say, yeah, not really for me anymore. Wish you guys the best. Yeah. Other times there have been things completely outside of the music that have been big problems where I left or somebody left. Is, um, is there like a project that stuck with you the most? Like, do you have a favorite? Well, the one that I, the project that I have currently, uh, in the past done the most with so far in my career um was a pop pop punk band called Southview. i really enjoyed my time with them we were we did like three diy u.s tours one was the entire country two were like half the country and then a bunch of weekenders and stuff living out the band you know any pop punkers that are doing their tours they know what i'm talking about turkey sandwiches every night or (laughs) in and out or whatever it is but uh, i did a lot with them we made an album and it was definitely like the fastest most energetic playing i've done uh and i really like it's like the harder the faster the better but I really like the nuance and stuff like stuff too i'm just talking about in a live setting like i just love when i'm just 
banging that shit, dude. Yeah. And so I was doing that every night with these guys, and, like, we didn't get anywhere. But damn, the tunes were fun to rip, so <laughs> I love that. What, what, okay, well, first of all, you say we didn't get anywhere. Like, what is your definition of getting somewhere outside of, like, actually putting out your music, like, into the world? Because some people don't even get that far, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, what, what do you think, like, would have been the goal if it had like what you would you have hoped it to Mm. have been yeah everybody hides behind that kind of delusional statement i feel like of making it in that dream like not that it's delusional but it so quickly can turn delusional like when you're making your decision your decision making process is starting to be based on like well if this video goes viral you know then we, we can do this but until then blah 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 yeah um when really it's usually just hard work Um, Mm -hmm. well consistency you said you went like on a tour around the whole country Mm -hmm. so like how does something like that come about is that something that you are facilitating like you're reaching out to places and then you're going and you're just like using your own kind of like time materials to get there like how did that work yeah so first off i'll say to the last question that you know i'm grateful for what we did accomplish in southview and you know when you asked me you know what was your definition of making or, or whatever, I'd probably define that as if you would like it to be for your occupation, in this case, the band, uh, to be able to keep you financially stable, if you would like. Mm. That's what I would call making it. If the band can, like, just, you can just do the band and you can live well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, when it comes to DIY, so we were, we did get signed to a label. Um, we were on standby records for a few years and it was awesome. And, you know, shout outs to Neil. He, you know, helped us with a bunch of, you know, date booking and helping us get our CD out there and helping us, you know, secure the funds to get a record recorded and, and all that. So it's not like we didn't do anything, you know, we, we definitely, so I don't want to sound ungrateful, but when it comes to the, the booking, you know, we would, our singer Cody was basically our manager to put it lightly i mean he did a lot of the legwork i didn't really know about the business side of this all back then that was six years ago now but yeah no it was just so diy i mean he just messaged all these booking agents around the uh around the states and uh dude facebook groups all right facebook groups are so key there's just like (laughs) pop punk show networking groups and just like or like metal or funk uh show booking agent networking groups like there's like there's always some niche group to find and i've found so far that facebook has actually been such a damn good tool for for bands yeah um that's cool not in terms of going viral but in terms of networking right going viral and all that other shit is you know that's like the insta and tiktok space but um yeah so we did it all from the ground up and we just uh Cody booked almost all of our shows, or he did book all of our shows, and uh, yeah, and then we just had the okay by standby, and they advertised our shows for us, and then we just go play and hope for the best. Is it something that, like, you would have to pay for, or you just had to get there? Pay for what? Like, to play, or were they just looking for people? No, 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 we would never pay to play, uh, but (laughs) that's still not good enough. I wish we yeah, got. I wish you don't we, get paid though. I either. wish we got paid to play. Oh, okay, yeah, we I did. Hear you. We did get paid some to play. Mm, depending on just the place mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the kind of show or whatever. Amount of tickets sold, amount of tips in the bucket, and yeah, all that shit, and how you know 
if the venue tipped us with dinner so we could collectively save like 50 bucks by not <laughs> yeah. buying dinner, you know, because it was all just going in a pot that ultimately usually just went to fucking gas. Yeah. <laughs> or, and then after that ran, I would just be out of pocket. But no, we would never have to pay. Pay to play comes into effect when you're like being offered spots to like open for like big bands or stuff mm. like that. Interesting. Which I have mixed opinions on, but... Did you have a favorite place that you played? Like a memorable show from that experience? Oh, gosh. There's so many that flood my mind at once. I don't even know if I can... I mean... Let me think. I don't even think I can pick one out. (laughs) You see anything and everything. Especially when you go across the States. I mean... That's cool, though. I played a basement show in Colorado that I almost fucking died at. <laughs> our our, our, uh, our set list was like six and a half songs, roughly 30 minutes, maybe closer to 25. But uh, usually I can get through the whole set. It's six songs in an intro um, and be like, you know, pretty winded by the end of it. You know, got my workout. Bro, I was I, I played in a basement in Colorado where the air is so damn thin. Two songs in fucking dying (laughs) fucking gasping for air like i don't even know how i made it through that night because it was it was just so intense i can't even i didn't even think about it then we got playing and i was like oh i've made a mistake yeah but so it's like a physical workout huh yeah like because you're using your whole body oh yeah oh yeah to make sound Mm -hmm. and you're like you're not just like you're in one place but you're not i feel like that's like a visual misconception right is like you're sitting in this one spot but really right. you're like kind of all over the place yes. in that one spot you're sitting you're sitting and you're not standing up or whatever but you are very much rotating you know in every degree of these 180 degrees that you're given to, to move side to side you know your leftmost symbol is way far away than your rightmost uh tom you know drum uh, or symbol at the opposite side of the kit. And also, I ain't that big. So yeah. I got to be moving around, you know, to get to the to get to the spots that I want. So yeah, lots of lots of shoulder movement, bicep, uh, wrist, forearm, um, and you know, uh, thigh, or calf, I should say calf, mm-hmm. um, ankle and all that. So yeah, you know, basically a full body workout <laughs> in your drum kit like wh- how many pieces are there like how many different things are you interacting with so usually when people measure drum kits and they say like this is a five piece kit or a six piece kit usually they're just talking about the shells on the drums which are the drums themselves um symbols usually don't get um calculated in the amount of pieces of a drum kit but Typically, I play a five-piece drum kit, pretty standard, the bass drum, the snare drum, and then I usually play the other toms, are, or the other drums are called toms, the doom, 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 like those are all toms, so I usually play one rack tom, which is a suspended tom in front of the snare and on, like, above the bass drum, mm. um, and then two floor toms, which are, like, have legs that are on the floor, so they're not suspended. Um, and a lot of people play two rack toms in one floor, uh, but I do... I do one rack, two floor, and then, geez, I mean, I kind of had have the standard cymbal setup, but on top of liking pop punk, I also like progressive metal, 
and uh, gent. I'm a gent kid, so I got my toys, you know. I have a what's called a stack, a stack symbol, which is two symbols stacked on each other, um, and then you tighten it up real tight, um, and it gives you just a very quick percussive sound. Like instead of, it's like, so mm-hmm. I can, so it's it's there and gone. So I can hit it exactly where I want it, and then it's you know I have to I don't have to worry about it uh, ringing out. Um, but yeah, the standard drum kit to to put it simply is like two crash cymbals, a pair of hi hats, which are the ones that you use uh, the foot pedal with, um, a ride cymbal, which is the pretty you know pingy sounding one, um, and that's about it. And I have all those um, except I also have that stack that I mentioned. I have a little splash cymbal. Um, and then I have a China symbol for the breakdowns. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a lot, though. Yeah. It's That's like a lot of different things. So in a song, are you usually using most of those things? Or it just kind of depends, I guess. Depends on the genre. Um, the quick answer is no. Um, but the, Well, the answer, the answer is mostly, but, def- but most of the time definitely don't use everything mm. but most of the time i use almost everything yeah i got gotcha. you if i'm not playing metal i'm probably not touching that china symbol at all because mm. that's a very like evil sounding symbol like like you know just for very like berating fucking beats you know like right <laughs> in your face uh so i usually don't touch that if i'm playing like funk or blues or soul or rock well maybe i use it sometimes in rock but um I don't use that stack either, um, unless I'm playing progressive metal usually. Maybe some funk if I want to, you know, set up a motif where I'm hitting it in a really, you know, strange spot. And then I can, like, consistently hit it in that same spot over and over. So mm-hmm. people are kind of, like, understanding. I'm trying to, like, establish a, a groove. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in every song, I mean, you're using the bass drum, the snare, the toms, uh, your hi-hats, your ride, and your crashes. And then the splash is just an extra, but I'd be throwing that splash around everywhere. I love that thing. <laughs> is there any, like, genre that you don't like to play that you find, like, kind of annoying from, like, a musician kind of standpoint? Not like you don't like listening to it, but you don't like playing it. Uh-huh. Um, well, the only things that annoy me are the things I'm not good enough to play. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> which is, uh, first off, fucking jazz. Mm-hmm. I'm so bad at jazz. Why? Like, what makes it Well, going difficult? going back to the my roots, it's all because of my roots, and I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't, I didn't do enough research to realize I had to be diligent enough to get on, uh, get on top of myself when it came to sticking patterns and stuff like that, because when, when I got into rock, when I started with rock and metal, it's just, you're going full force all the time, which... People may think immediately, like, that's so hard. He's expelling so much energy. But the it's kind of simpler grooves at a core. Because, you you know, you can hear it, and that's kind of just what it is. But in, but in jazz, you have just such, like, light strokes, and they're just filled with such finesse. And, like, when I learned drums, you know, I learned to hit hard. It's hard to now switch to, like just, you know, a lot more lighter swings and, like, accurately placing them in the right spot because I'm either going to, like, not know the wrist technique involved in, like, getting that second or third or fourth stroke off fast enough. So I may, like, one of the strokes may be too hard or too soft or I, like, miss the drum on one of the... 
you know, things. And it just like, doesn't sound complete. So, um, yeah, the only, the only genres I don't really like playing are the ones I'm just not currently well-versed in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, you keep mentioning like sticking Sticking. patterns. Like what is that? Sticking equals hand technique. Uh, okay. So uh, like how you would hold it. So everyone, yeah, yeah. And, um, what points of your arm, uh, and wrist are like, um, doing the most motion with the stick. Like, um, it's all in the wrist. It's all in the wrist. And that's why I can't play jazz yet or are really good at rudiments, which I will explain more in a minute. Um, cause I don't have that finesse and I don't have that wrist control. Uh, first of all, another thing you, uh, you should know is that I play on a right-handed kit, but I am left-handed. And because of that, I'm able to do like, have a lot more finesse <laughs> like left-handed stuff going on, but a lot more simpler right hand led stuff, uh, I fail in when, mm -hmm. even after 13 years of playing, because my right wrist has just, I have not sat down and forced myself to educate myself enough, uh, yet and go through like months and months of discipline to get my right wrist up to where my left wrist is. And because they're not matched, I'm not able to do a lot more of the lighter playing. And when I went back to now, now back to sticking, like, uh, these rudiments, rudiments are just rudimentary patterns that were established long ago that people implement in drumming, uh, in different, uh, genres and in different ways. Um, and the simple, the simplest one is called the paradiddle. Da, 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 da. So right, left, right, right, or left, right, left, left. You know, if you're a drummer, it sounds easy, but when you go to very high speeds, like, that shit's fucking crazy. <laughs> I okay. mean, that sounds hard enough for me anyways. It's like, sounds like patting my head and rubbing my belly. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine sped up like. Yeah. And then add the feet in. Yeah. No, that's what it's always blown my mind about drumming in general is adding the feet in. I feel like yeah. I could probably just with practice do any hand kind of stuff, just practicing. But feet, well, <laughs> yeah. my brain would be like question marks. What is going on? It's, uh, it's intimidating. Is the feet just for the bass drum though? Like what, or the, yes, the, no? The, the right foot is for the, or if, you, if you're playing righty at least, your, or your, your main dominant foot is for the bass drum and your other foot is for the hi-hats, oh, uh, which okay. are two cymbals uh, that are together. And the top one, the bottom one is rested on a seat uh, and the top one is attached to a rod that is controlled by a pedal on your, that your left foot or your non-dominant foot, um, is using and you, uh, step on the pedal with your foot to close the top hi-hat onto the bottom hi-hat to create like a crisp, like, you know, and that's where you get kind of the standard beat is, you know, that's all like a closed hi-hat. If you start opening your, or, or if you start letting your foot off the pedal a little bit, the hi-hats become, the term we use is sloshier, like shh, shh, and they're big and open. And then that's where we get the big rock grooves from, you know, you know, a lot more open. So there's a whole world of finesse in the hi-hat itself with just your <laughs> non-dominant foot. How do you control that? Is it just by force? 
of your foot or is it like how you're pressing on the pedal? It's all of it. It, it can depend on like the angle your foot is coming at the pedal at, uh, plus the amount of force. Um, what part of your foot is touching the pedal, you know, because it can just be a naturally like more weighted part of your foot, which is going to produce a bigger, like we call it a chick sound when they, when they both, uh, when both hi-hats like, you know, touch each other, like, you know, Mm -hmm. so if you have a, a harder, a harder foot or like a harder land, you know, it's going to be louder. And sometimes you want those softer strokes because you don't want when you're playing live, especially like you're, you're listening to the environment and you're like, how can, you know, at least if you're a good musician, if you ask me, you're, you're, you're saying, how can I curate my sound to the environment and to the band? Mm. Um, and cause some, I'm sure where you're at affects how it sounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you don't want to be hard footed and hard handed in spots. Like if I'm at a little jazz club or a coffee shop, I'm not going to be slamming, you know, freaking, you know, playing at like the volume that like Metallica would play at, for, <laughs> for example, you know what I mean? I gotta, yeah. I gotta sit down and just, and just chill and lay back and then just kind of lay into the grooves and be very intentional and control that volume. Any of my friends that may listen to this one day are going to laugh their ass off because they know I'm so fucking hard handed and footed, but <laughs> I'm, I'm on that journey of unlearning that and, and recognizing the, the finesse required uh, to play all these genres, you know, I only played rock and metal and like pop punk for a long time. Um, and only just recently am I playing a lot more of funk, blues, soul, R&B. That's cool, though. Mix it up. Yeah. Keep it interesting. It also just like... improves me. It just improves me because it makes me pay attention to things that since I was only playing a couple genres, I didn't really have to pay attention to that now I have to pay attention to otherwise i look like a fool yeah (laughs) is there like an now i wouldn't say end goal isn't really the right way to put it but is there a place that you want to reach in the next five years or so with your music or is there an end goal for like what you would be happy with accomplishing yeah i think i um i was trying to figure that out for a long time and it started with just like you know like i was talking on that um sort of delusion thing, which again, isn't delusional if you have a plan, but I, you know, first for the longest, I was like, I'm going to make it with a band and I'm just going to, you know, be in a band and we're going (laughs) to tour and like, that's awesome. But I've now shifted to, I don't want to be like the drummer of that band. I want to be me. And I am so Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, there's just such a huge drumming community of people making content and just doing like educational content or just like anything. And I just love that. So to put it simply, my end goal is to be just a prominent um, member of the drumming community, talking to my heroes and the people that inspire me, having conversations and just learning more about my instrument every day. And, you know, maybe one day I can go to educating and, um, clinics and stuff but really my current end goal is to is to probably produce online content online drumming content get involved in the drumming community and start conversations with people i want to learn more from and uh then just do session work um like session work in the form of you know um recording the drums for people's songs or albums that they write but then also like going off on tour with some big 
you know, act if like they can't find their drummer or like something happened to the drummer, whatever. So I want to be a hired gun in the studio and live and produce my own content and just be active in the drumming community and then make as much original music that I love as possible. That's a good answer. Um, how would you get, do you know, how, is it just who you know as far as getting bands to like ask you to play with them? Like, or is there kind of like a place where they would go to like their own kind of, you have, like, to, you build have to have your an resume. agent. Okay. You have to build your resume and it's really kind of like, they could just kind of find you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, word of mouth, right? It's just a little different now because we have more places to check and right, stuff, right. but still word of mouth. Yeah. So just like continuing to do what you like, put, getting it out there, being good at it. And then one day that opportunity will come around. And yeah. it helps that you're a personable person, too. You know, you don't mind having Thanks. conversations with people. But that not. goes a long way, you know. I feel like nowadays, from no matter what creation sphere that you're in, you have to work with other people. And so if you can't do that, people aren't going to want to you to work with them, even if you're, like, the coolest person to ever live. It's at essential. Your, at your job. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think people are starting to see past people's, like, facades that they've put up about themselves nowadays. Like, it's like, yeah, you're cool or whatever, or, like, you're hot or attractive or whatever, but, like, what else? Like, what are you actually doing? You right. Know? So, I'm, I, I love having these conversations and talking about the things I love, because I figure um, it can only benefit me, right? Yeah. It can only come back to do something good for me. You know, and have somebody that I never would have thought start a conversation with me or somebody else just maybe and I'll never even know either. Somebody got inspired and then they start drumming or go form their first band or, mm. you know, whatever. So I love just being in the space. And yeah, I just hope I'm here forever. <laughs> What's something that you like you wish you knew before you started? Do you have anything that you wish you had known? Uh, that I should have joined marching band. <laughs> I'm not fucked off. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, how do you think that would have helped you? Just with like the rudimentary kind of things that you were talking about? Yeah, I just have so much more control in my playing, but there's no regrets, right? Right, you know right, for I mean? sure. But it's it always just interesting once you are far into something. I feel like you think everyone has their own outlook on, oh, I wish I'd known this. It might have made it easier for me mm -hmm. going into it, you know? Like, yeah. a, I think a repeating thing that people have said on here is just like, it's not that serious and keep making stuff is like a big one that they yes. wish they had thought of more, you know, like, yes, yes, yes. You just got to do it. It's all kind of about the hours put in. Right. Cause not right. a lot of people are like just prodigies, mm -hmm. although that happens, it's more about like how much you do it to develop that skill. Yes. Right. Yes, so it's like, yes, just yes. keep doing it. That's a hard one for me sometimes with music. Cause mm -hmm. I'll, I can be like a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, unintentionally, but I'll be like, if I'm just not amazing at it immediately, then I'm like, I'll just be like, well, why do it at all? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that won't get anyone anywhere. I, I've been there before. It, you know, you got to pull yourself out of that as quick as you can, but everybody, everybody goes there. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just consistency over and over, see what happens. And, um, yeah, don't get too caught up on one project. Uh, yeah. at, at, at least like at one time. Set it down after, you know, you've kind you, you kind of start. Everyone knows when they're starting to feel a little exhausted mentally, like it's time for a break. Like when it's time for a break, take a break. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, yeah. then, and then come back 
And thankfully, I've been a part of a lot of projects where, like, we finish a song and we're like, all right, time for the next one, like, you know? So, yeah. Um, fortunately for me, I haven't hit that issue too, too much, but I know, like, you know, everyone's just a step away from that. Like, yeah. at any time, you can get caught up in that real fast, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know, just loving the journey, like everyone says, and uh, giving yourself that break yeah. would be my official uh, advice. Give yourself that break so you don't burn out. Yeah, that's good advice. A lot of people have echoed that, too, that I've interviewed, so I'd be interested to see if that, that's just obviously a good learning point for any creative, like, give it a give it a rest, come back to it. My mm -hmm. one friend said, put it in a box, stop looking at it, then come back to it later. Right. Just right, true right. of a lot of things. So the question I ask everyone is like, what's something that you wish for the whole like creative collective for the next year? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think just unity and acceptance and idea sharing, um, we could always use um, upgrades in our online platforms for help with sharing, um, project mm -hmm. sharing. Um, a new social media platform. Yeah. Social media <laughs> six. Fucking. <laughs> I don't know. That but, would be cool, though, because they have, what is it, Deviant Art? Is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. They need that for, like, other people besides yeah. art, like, drawing traditional, like, I artists, agree. you know? Yeah, yeah. Just anything that can increase... Um, community yeah i don't know what it looks like yeah but i that, agree. that's what i wish for we'll have us. to be the front runners of that we'll we're have gonna to, have like, to be make more of that mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. you know what i think is really cool um is streaming yeah if more people streamed i bet that'd be pretty cool too yeah i think that's another thing people get kind of um sad about though when it doesn't take off right away right because a lot of people yes. who have a big following did it for a long time regularly to get mm -hmm. the audience they have and i feel like that's like a common thing is like they'll be like oh i'll stream and i'll stream and i'll stream but i only have like five viewers and like if you think about the big names in youtube right like uh, the first person that comes to mind for me is philip defranco because he's still around he's mm -hmm. been around since the beginning he's literally been on youtube more than like 10 years and he didn't, he maybe has always been kind of quote famous, but he didn't have millions of followers until recently. Mm -hmm. And it's because he posted all the time, every day, or however often he did for years, you yep. know? And I think that's on the back end of these people who are really big on YouTube too, except for the select few who go viral for something, mm -hmm. um, is that I think streaming could also be great, but you just have to remember it's like work. And I think people forget that because it's social media. There's like this idea that it's like, oh, it's not work, but it's literally is, you know, no, it is <laughs> like you're having to set aside hours. You need to be posting regularly because think about if you're an audience member and you're looking to this person. Right. A lot of the YouTubers that I watch, I know that their videos are going to come out on Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. So I know mm -hmm. when to go back and look. I know when they do their live streams. Yes. You know, yes. you can't just be like sporadically posting mm -hmm. and hoping that tons of people are going to watch. Yeah. You know, I think that's like the biggest holdback from people doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's all about being realistic. I mean, Philip DeFranco, you know, he wasn't famous the whole time. It may have had, I don't really know for him, but it may have happened early in his career if it did. If it did, you know, good for him, but it was not the whole time. Um, and then to your other point, um, 
Oh, and you know, it, he got there with consistency, though. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. and then, and then and then to the other point is uh, comparing yourself to the big streamers and stuff, and you know, the delusion and all that thing. Like, why would you compare yourself to the top one percent uh, theoretically when you know it? The stats just say, however you want to look at it, ninety nine. Not 98, not 97, 99% of Twitch streamers have less than 5, 10 viewers. And I'm, I'm sure 99.5 of them have less than 5 viewers. But yeah. most of them have less than 10 viewers because everyone flocks in mass to the, the big guys. Mm-hmm. And that's just because Twitch is so social and, or, you know, streaming in general is so social and communal and everyone's just there to, like, dick around and joke and have fun and... Or learn, you know, whatever kind of stream you're watching, it depends. But, um, you know, it's, it's just how it's going to naturally unfold since it's so communal. Like, you have to build a community. So, mm-hmm. like, ain't no way you're getting a big audience unless you do go viral or you're consistent for years and years and you keep reinvesting into your content and, like, put out good... You have to be an entertainer if you want yeah. to choose these avenues Mm -hmm. and some people just like the idea of the end result of all that you know all the money and all the people you'd be around and blah 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 but but then they realize oh i don't think i'm an an entertainer right all the way actually (laughs) especially in a saturated market and you know another thing that that goes hand in hand with that too is a lot of these people who are fully online full-time now they didn't start off that way either. They worked like two jobs and then in the few hours of free time they had, they were busting out content. That's you right. You know? That's right. For a long time before it was like, okay, this is my full-time thing. It seems like that's the story I hear most often. Yeah. Is that they were busting their ass, uh, you know, outside of their nine to five. So, so doesn't that, you know, prove to all the people that are like, why aren't I like blah, 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 like. Dude, these people found the time that they had available to them to work on this other thing, and they used every minute of it, mm-hmm. or the closest they could get to every minute of it, and to to just get mull over ideas and and try stuff and just all that, you know. So, you know, not to be uh, too blunt, but if you're complaining about you know not being there, like, what are you doing? You know, well, like, literally, or what are you not doing? Or exactly. What are you not doing? Like, what if you really are honest with yourself? And I say this to myself too, even about like health stuff, right? Like, what are five things off the top of my head I could be doing better to make me look or feel better how I want to, right? Yes. I can think of multiples. So I can't really complain, right? If I'm in this position where I'm like, oh, well, I could drink more water. I could go <laughs> to bed earlier. Yeah. I could not eat that candy that I ate after dinner because I just wanted to, you know, like those little things. If I took all of that out and then I still wasn't seeing success, that's a different story, right? Right. But if you have like two hours of free time and you're just sitting there watching TV, which no shade, I I do it too. Right, we all do But then you're wondering why your life isn't progressing how you want. Maybe it's because of certain things that you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean... You know, because I want to be encouraging, but it's like the the point of me saying all this is just like be realistic with yourself. If you're if you're looking for, for sure. a goal and you're not there yet, you know, just spend some time with yourself. What could I be doing to get a little closer? Or yeah, maybe I should study somebody for a day and like see see if I can pick up on any habits of theirs that I like feel like are contribute 
Tory to their success. Yeah, you know, for sure. You, you just got to look inward and uh, and re- and really be trying. You know. Yeah, but, that's that is all it takes though. Is like being. That's the thing though. Is like a lot of people they do sugarcoat it for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know. And I know you have I have. To, yeah, and same. Do. <laughs> same. But you got to break that because when you think about the people you aspire to be, you're like, oh, this is what they do in a common day, right? Mm-hmm. And what am I not doing? Like you're saying, like pick up on those habits, even if it's just one at a time. Like I wake up 20 minutes earlier to like sit with myself, make a list for the day and meditate or feel at peace so that I can yes. just flow into my day and like do all the things that I want to get done. That's a great start to that day, to a day. And, yeah. and honestly, though, a, a good point as well is step at a time. Do not overwhelm yourself because like. Geez, I know I I know how many how long I've operated in both extremes. Like, why aren't I where I want to be? And then I'm like, all right, fine. I'm gonna sit down and figure out what's going on. And then I get so overwhelmed because I find like a million things. I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm really far behind. But then it's like, okay, no, no, no. Space it out. Space it out. You know, and and just one step at a time. Mm-hmm. There, there is no concrete answer. Everyone's answer is different. Yeah. Just give yourself that time and space and respect and love and, 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 you know, mm-hmm. one day at a time, literally. So this time, this, this episode end, we have homework now. I want you guys to go and list like three things that you could do to further yourself in the next month. <laughs> there it is. Class dismissed. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you guys in two weeks.